Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl Podcast. I am your host, Kristen. And welcome to your Halloween special. We're getting spooky, y'all. When I hinted about it before, I told you this subject even sent chills up my spine. And that's hard to do these days. That subject is hillbillies adjacent. Sorry, hillbillies adjacent. Specifically the superstitions and folklore of the Appalachian Mountains. This area stretches through 13 states from New York, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, all the way down to Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. The mountains house some of the most beautiful and mysteriously dense and dark areas of forest, with large parts of it never having had some brave explorer's foot set inside its boundaries before. Who knows? what lurks beyond its perimeter. There are some very strange tales of creepy critters that originate from these parts that just don't sit right. Some awfully specific superstitions and rules to live by or to continue living at all. These are told to people in early childhood in order to prepare them for the dangers and perils of growing up in Appalachia, words of wisdom with only an unspoken but somehow understood explanation of why it is wise to listen and follow the advice proffered to them. So let's get a glimpse, ever so briefly, of where these folks are coming from. What are they being told from early on in order to go on and have productive, structured, happy lives? Following are some of these superstitions that Southerners believe are just facts that science has yet to accept. Growing up, people will become very familiar with the more what we'll call mundane understandings. The things that will ensure good luck, such as carrying a rabbit's foot in your pocket, hanging a horseshoe upside down in your home, dreaming of bees, seeing a white horse, and knocking on wood. And this very wise and sage advice that I think everyone henceforth should adhere to, spit on a new baby to bring it good luck. Just gobs of spit on all the babies. Their mothers will deeply appreciate your gesture, I'm sure of it. And some of the regular fare to ward off bad luck. Never close a knife you didn't open. Always go out the same door you came in. Don't wash your clothes on Sunday. I can dig that. Don't walk under ladders. If you do, don't turn around, simply back out. If a black cat crosses your path, 
turn and go a different way. If it's unavoidable and they do cross your path, quickly draw an X three times in the air to void out the bad luck. Don't let anyone sweep under your feet or you'll never marry. I can't say one way or another if that is a bad thing, but to each their own. Never repay salt that you have borrowed. Rude. And if you should spill the salt, because you're a grubby little salt hoarder, throw a pinch of it over your left shoulder to ward off bad luck. Maybe, just maybe, it'll help you avoid anyone that comes to ask you for some salt, and then a week later, when you call to ask for it back, answers like, mm, new phone, who dis, lose my number, what salt are you referring to? I have a lot of it, it's hard to keep track. And then we have next level superstitions. Yeah. We take a hard turn right about this point. Don't wash your clothes on New Year's Day. It'll cause a death in the family. I mean, I can dig not having to do my laundry, but harsh consequences, man. Hold your breath when you pass a cemetery or you'll be next. Your baby has to fall off the bed before their first birthday. Couldn't find a reason for this one, just thought it was dark, and while possibly funny, probably unnecessary. If a chicken lays an uneven number of eggs, it's an omen of danger. You in danger, girl. Death always comes in threes. Hmm. Hearing a screech owl at dusk means someone will die. Like, <laughs> how can you not know that? Speaking a dead person's name in your dream is an omen of death. And you must stop your clocks when there is a death to prevent another one. Superstitions about evil abound. If you wish to protect against it, hang a mirror by the door. Never leave a rocking chair rocking or you will invite the spirits in. A chin dimple, as cute as it may be, is a sign of bad character because dimples are made by the devil's shoe. Is he wearing ice skates? High heels? We may never know. All we have is the remnant of his footprint. Leave one apple on the tree to keep the devil away. And leaving diapers on a clothesline during a full moon will attract evil forces. So leave the apple, take the diaper. Roger Dodger. Y'all ever seen that meme? It's something like people on like spiritual forums. They're all like, oh, I wore a green shirt on a Tuesday while taking a crap at midnight. What does this mean? Like, it's it's funny, but we uh, really like to find the meaning in randomness, like to think that there are connections. Uh, sometimes there are, sometimes, but sometimes it's okay for something to just be random, you know? The final bit of superstitionry I wanted to include is because it is so darn specific and in my mind, so Appalachian, we'll call it the broom list. Never sweep twice in the same place. It is bad luck to sweep trash out your door. Never sweep after dark. Never step over a broom. Bad fortune is soon to follow when a broom falls for no reason. Lots of broom stuff in these parts. Now, you may have heard of some of these before. Maybe you haven't heard of any. It can be difficult to understand how anyone would abide by these rules, you know, for better fortune or, or keep the devil away or whatever. But human beings are superstitious by our very nature. Like, heck, I, I made up so many stupid rules growing up, just trying to connect dots and make sense of the world around me because superstitions do that. 
they help bring some semblance of order to the chaos structure to our hectic lives. And and if all you had to do to ensure a kid grew up to be wealthy and healthy and successful and handsome was to spit on him when he was born, it's disgusting, but wouldn't you? I know it doesn't make any sense in today's scientifically dominated world, but superstitions made sense to a lot of people over the course of our history who had no other way to do so. And when we see a whole group of people, an entire region, growing up with these kinds of superstitions, maybe maybe tucking them away in the far recesses of their mind, but still taking them with them throughout life, we can more easily understand how legends of such strange, dark, and violent cryptids could be born out of these parts. In short, these are monsters the stuff of nightmares. A total fiction of the mind? Perhaps. But personally, I can't help it, even if I think a creature or story or a topic is 99% BS, to keep going back to that 1% and wonder if there's not something to it. Now, just like with their superstitions, the myths and mountain folklore of Ghosts and cryptids and various unknown creatures that go bump in the night have been passed down by countless generations. Some very, very well-known ones at that have carried their weight and reputation across the country, the world. But in the spirit of Paranorm Girl and my own personal brand of curiosity, in the spirit of Halloween, I'm not going to talk about the extremely well-known phenomena of Appalachia that has been covered time and time again. So no Mothman, no Bell Witch, no Flatwoods Monster, as fascinating and terrifying as they may be. No, I wanted to dive into a couple that I had never heard of first. Give some press to some of the lesser-known creatures that have given people the willies for generations. And then take us out with a creature that quite bluntly scares me. First up, though, the Dueyo. This is a creature reported out of Maryland. It is said to have long black hair with a big bushy tail and walks upright on two legs, like a human. Standing fully upright, it towers anywhere from six to nine feet tall and growls like an angry wolf or dog. People refer to this creature by its other name, the werewolf of the Appalachians. A story ran in the Frederick News Post in 1965 about a man going by John Becker, who had gone outside of his house to investigate some strange sounds he was hearing. Standing in his yard was a giant beast as big as a bear. When he moved toward it, it reared up on its hind legs and attacked him. Becker says he fought it off and it ran off into the woods. There is some question as to the validity of this particular story as police were unable to locate anyone in the area named John Becker, but that doesn't speak for the numerous reports of sightings by hunters and campers and park rangers, or the numerous reports of people hearing its eerie, piercing howl ringing through the night. The Dueyo is not a kind creature and is thought to attack any living person or animal in its vicinity, and local cattle mutilations have been attributed to the beast. Perhaps the Dueyo should find somebody its own size to pick on. Somebody like the Snallygaster, who is reputed to be its mortal enemy. Beginning in the 1730s, 
German immigrants who had settled in the area of Frederick County, Maryland, reported seeing a creature they called a Schnellergeist, which means quick ghost. A religious pamphlet circulated at the time referred to the early events taking place on the settlement as Die Heimsaching, or the Visitation. Early folklore describes the Snallygaster as a half-bird, half-lizard monster with a metallic beak, razor-sharp teeth, and octopus-like tentacles. In future descriptions, it was said to have a long-pointed bill, claws like steel hooks, and an eye in the center of its forehead. Either description would be quite the sight to behold. According to the folklore, this monster lived deep inside caves, coming out only to hunt. It was said it swooped down silently from the sky to snatch up farm animals and little children before taking them somewhere to feast by sucking the blood entirely from its victim's body. For centuries, the folklore alone kept the Snallygaster alive and well within the frightened hearts and minds of Maryland's residents, but in 1909, stories began to emerge in the local papers of encounters and vicious attacks between the locals and this beast. One story printed claimed that it had plucked up a man and proceeded to sink its teeth into his throat, draining him of blood before dropping his exsanguinated body on a hillside. This story became so widespread that the Smithsonian Institute offered a reward for anyone who would bring them the creature's hide. The Snallygasters started being reported elsewhere too in New Jersey, where its footprints were seen in the snow, in West Virginia, where a farmer found one roosting in his barn. Someone in Ohio wrote into the paper, telling of a strange winged creature flying over his area, making terrible screeching sounds, and described it having a 20-foot-long tail. But back in Maryland, the sightings continued in various areas. A man said he startled one slumbering near his brick-burning kiln. The creature awoke and flew away, screaming angrily. Others had seen it flying over the mountains between Gapland and Burkittsville, where it is reported that it laid a very large egg. The last reported sighting of 1909 occurred back in Frederick County, where three men said they had fought it off during an hour-long encounter outside of a railroad station before it flew into the woods. And then it seemed to suddenly vanish from the face of the earth. Until 23 years later, when the winged cryptid was once again spotted flying over the Frederick County area, at the time, it was surmised that the Snallygaster's lifespan was around 20 years or so, so this new sighting could very well have been the offspring hatched from the egg laid in 1909. Interestingly, there are similarly described creatures in early Native American lore. In 1673, the Alini tribe described seeing a bird-like monster as they journeyed down the Mississippi River, even painting murals of the creature along the bluffs. They called it the Piazza bird, meaning bird that devours men. According to native legend, this creature developed the taste for human flesh after feeding on the corpses of deceased warriors. It is still local legend around Alton, Illinois. In Chippewa legends, they speak of a thunderbird called Anamiki. Though their legend has this great being as the cause of thunder and rarely a bother to humans. They also had another name for it, Benesi, meaning the great bird. Choctaw mythology includes two huge birds called Haloha and Malatha, literally meaning thunder and lightning, and they were responsible for thunderstorms. 
Kaloha would lay giant eggs in the clouds, which would roll around, creating a rumble, and Malatha, who was extremely fast, would leave a trail of sparks as he streaked across the sky. It's thought the final remaining Snallygaster died as it flew over a vat of moonshine, no joke, inhaled the fumes, and plummeted into the container of alcohol. Authorities arrived, it is reported, authorities arrived and quickly destroyed the vat and what remained of the creature because of course they did and that's the last we've heard of it it's gone forever gone for good but much like its rising phoenix moment after its first decades-long hiatus we have to wonder is it though next up well known as its cousins may be i do want to include a bigfoot-like creature the Yahoo out of West Virginia. In the 18th century, the idea of a semi-human was floated amongst scientific circles. Gulliver's Travels, first published in 1726, talked about hairy, man-like creatures called Yahoos. Carolus Linnaeus, a physician, zoologist, and taxonomist, theorized in 1758 that a form between man and ape existed, entitling it Homo troglodyte. Were they all talking about the very same giant man-ape-like creature that still stalks the dark nights of not just the Appalachian forest, but many thick and uninhabited wooded regions across the continent? Many people less familiar with the Bigfoot phenomenon are quick to attribute it to the Pacific Northwest, none the wiser that it has been documented worldwide. In Australia, they call it Yawi. In the Himalayas, it is the Yeti. In Russia, Alma. But even here in America, it goes by many names, possibly indicating not just the Bigfoot itself, but subspecies of an umbrella species complete with different colors and sizes, hair lengths, behaviors. Specifically, in our own backyard, we've got the Florida Skunk Ape, the Monster of Whitehall, the Georgia Booger, the Missouri Momo, and the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Hello! But in the mountains of West Virginia, the Yahoo lays claim. The Yahoo is reported to be around eight feet tall with jet black fur and makes a terrifyingly loud but oddly unique scream, very much sounding like Yahoo! Nailed it! If you've watched the show Mountain Monsters, you may have seen the episode they did on the Yahoo of Nicholas County. I did not get to catch the full episode, but was able to catch a couple of clips of audio they caught of the howling in the woods in the middle of the night as a group of them were tracking something. It sounded just like Yahoo, but dudes, <laughs> there was something so bone chilling about this scream. It was like a guttural howl squalling. Intelligence, but primal. I don't know if it was real or they hoaxed it, but just ugh, hard, hard to describe. So hard to describe. I've included the uh, link to that clip in the notes if you want to take a listen. I gotta say, I did not like how they were handling the tracking of this creature. They were all armed like so armed and there was like six or seven of them creeping around its home in the middle of the night ready to like it appears shoot it should they see it um the description they have for the show is that this was an ultra aggressive beast 
And just from the short clips I watched, it looked like they were ready to handle it as such, which is horrible and misleading because to my knowledge, Bigfoot encounters don't usually get violent. Yeah, they don't. Oh, but they throw rocks. Yeah, well, you're in their house. They don't want nothing to do with you. Go away. Oh, they shake trees. Again, sounds to me like they are trying to intimidate to make you leave. There is one story. I just heard it. One story of the only encounter that I have come across, which included an actual injury of a person perpetrated by a Bigfoot. We're going to assume it was a Yahoo as it took place in the forest of Nicholas County. So this guy took a date out to a really rough part of river nearby the New River Gorge to go swimming. His date ended up getting swept down. He goes down with her and sees this flat rock coming up. The water is rough. So his only thought was get her out. So according to the story, he basically heaves this girl out of the water onto the rock. He grabs onto it, pulls himself up facing her and the woods along the bank behind her. When he looks up, he sees this very tall, very massive creature standing there. And he says the thing picked up this rock and angrily threw it at his head. He ducked, but it caught him on the shoulder, giving him a pretty good gash. The rock tumbles into the water, splashing, startling the girl, and she screams. The guy sees the creature pick up another rock, and somehow he puts it together that he thinks that the creature thinks that he was trying to hurt the girl before because the creature wasn't even paying attention to her at all. He was just zeroed in angrily on this guy. So he tells his date to look behind her. Don't scream. I think it thinks I was trying to hurt you. Hug me. She does. And a second later, the creature drops the rock and disappears into the forest. So there you go the ultra-violent Yahoo of Appalachia. The sightings in West Virginia seem to be on the rise for some reason. Southern West Virginia, specifically just east of the New River Gorge National Park and Preserve, is a bit of a hotspot with numerous sightings and encounters being reported annually, like current day. This is definitely not just a legend of the past and we have to now wonder. No, people are experiencing this Sasquatch-like now, I'm going to leave you with um, what I thought was a really convincing story. It's interesting. It just happened end of 2019. Billy Humphrey and his wife, Sheena, lived near the New River Gorge Forest. In October of 2019, he sets up a deer blind in the woods right near his property. He says on a series of consecutive nights, food he'd been setting out for game kept disappearing more quickly than usual. All of it would be gone within just a couple of hours. So he spent the next two nights in the blind, set up a, a camera, hung a light, pointed down over the food, and he waited. He says he was determined to just figure out what animal could possibly be doing it. So he's waiting one of the nights and realizes the woods suddenly go still. He would text his wife saying that something is eerie up here. Then he heard something big stalking up toward him through the woods and then just stop, standing just outside of the blind. He would text his wife again, there's something moving behind the blind. 
He says whatever it was just stood there for about a minute and then moved around the side of the blind in front of the light he had hung, casting a shadow that Billy could see. Billy says he thought it was a bear because it was tall enough that it was casting this shadow in front of the light, even though he'd hung it like nine feet in the air. So he knew it was big. Billy reported that the same thing happened the following night. So on the night following that, he ends up bringing his wife with him. He says the two had only been waiting in the blind for maybe like 15 minutes when it came back. Sheena poked her head out just enough to get a good look and she says calmly, there he is. When he asked who, she says, Bigfoot. I would have been crapping, dudes, crapping. So at that point, Billy pointed his phone out the blind and was able to snap a quick pic, but unfortunately did not have a better camera. Moving on. Okay. Then the creature turned and walked off as they listened to it moving away through the thick forest when it suddenly made a sound that Billy describes as a bear's death moan. Creepy stuff. The Yahoo is thought to be intelligent work cooperatively in small groups, and snack on stolen items from people's gardens, pigs from people's farms, and deer from the woods. But not any not-deer. The not-deer is an Appalachian phenomenon found to take place most anywhere in the region. Most people describe its appearance closely resembling that of a deer, but not exactly. Most people describe a sense of uneasiness and discomfort when encountering these creatures. There's just always something off or wrong. It's kind of a deer, but more not deer. Previous sightings have described them having elongated mouths like a dog, claws for hooves, hands and arms in place of forelegs. They have oddly proportioned bodies with more or less joints than a normal deer, forward-facing eyes like those of a predator, or standing up on two legs like a human, sharp teeth, legs that bend the wrong way, and they have zero fear of us because they are not deer. They exude uncanny, erratic behavior, such as making clicking noises while uncomfortably jerking. Viewers of them have said that being close to one gave them a deeply unsettling feeling. At this point, I would like to introduce the concept of the Deer Man, which is a similar sounding, shape-shifting cryptid that many people report having also encountered. And first-hand sightings with this strange cryptid even from afar, left them feeling creeped out even decades after their encounter. Another said they were, quote, scared shitless as their hair stood on end and they left the area immediately as they felt they were not wanted there. They reported the deer man they encountered screamed in such a way they were only ever able to find references to anything similar in the legends and folklore of the Banshee. Did they encounter a deer man? A Banshee? Something for sure, just not a deer. A Choctaw legend tells of a mischievous deer man called Cachahotapolo who loved to frighten hunters in the woods as it screeched and wailed while dashing past the lone hunters at lightning speed. And Cherokee folklore speaks of a shape-shifting deer woman who was a seductive foe to adulterous and promiscuous men. Able to easily shapeshift from deer to human form, though retaining some of their deer characteristics, such as hooves for feet, they would lead men to their deaths or leave them lost and alone to pine and waste away from lovesickness. 
Now, you may have seen a number of videos posted online claiming to be not deer, and the videos are pretty eerie, for sure. Deer walking forever in circles, jerking listlessly, making strange noises, and paying no heed whatsoever to the person taking the video. These deer are simply sick, unfortunately affected by chronic wasting disease similar to mad cow disease, and it attacks the animal's central nervous system, slowly wasting them away from the inside out. A terrible way to go. And with symptoms like um, stumbling, drooling, aggression, strange body movements, and a total lack of fear to humans, it's not hard to be unsettled when seeing this, to think that there might be something more supernatural to it. But this is a sick animal versus the reports told of the not-deer, a strange half-human, half-deer cryptid-like creature able to shapeshift in some legends, walks around on two legs, sometimes, screams like a banshee and runs at lightning speed, sure. But if the thing we are seeing isn't an animal suffering from CWD, and we're getting reports of all sorts of differing descriptions, I wonder, are we talking about multiple and completely different creatures, or are we talking about the same creature who is simply able to take on different forms and attributes? There's a pretty distinct difference between a sick animal and whatever this other thing is. And if we are not looking at a sick animal, if it is not a deer, what is it? Before we move on to our final creature, we need to take some precautions. Arm ourselves with some simple rules. It's for your own safety should you ever find yourself in or around the forests of Appalachia. Following are the no-you-don't rules. Heed them wisely, my good people. If you hear something, no, you don't. If you see something, no, you don't. When I first heard these rules, I cannot begin to describe the creeping fear that came over me. Abby Sabota on TikTok has some really incredible videos over there covering what we might call Appalachian safety tips. These were the rules taught to her and so many like her who grew up in Appalachia. And they come with a certain amount of weight, but no explanation, no elaboration. It's just understood. I can only empathize so far, having lived in the South myself, there is a certain gravity to living in these more remote, densely forested, darker areas of the country. And you hear stories. You carry around with you the strange sense of, like, awareness about the dark. You know, this could be the what if. All while you continue to try and live your life as if you're not living right alongside this other layer of mysterious reality. And that was just Slidell. The Appalachian region, though, I imagine there's a whole other level of wonderment and fear. Is it the wilderness itself? Humans have always had this apprehensive respect for the woods. What lives there? What's watching you? What happened to those who never came back? But this forest is different than all the rest. It feels different because it feels like there is something dark in there, that it's dangerous. There are voices that call out from its depths. Let's take another run at those rules and elaborate a little bit. 
If you hear something, no, you don't. So if you hear your name called, don't call out, don't go looking, just walk away. If you hear a baby crying from the woods, walk away. If you hear screaming or a cry for help from the forest, no, you don't. This other creator I watch quite a bit does these um, nighttime investigations with his wife out in the middle of the woods. Some of the things that they see and hear, like eye shine that's forward-facing and human height, strange, strangulated, inhuman shrieking and cries for help just, just out of nowhere in the middle of the night. It's petrifying, dudes. There is some strange-ish happening out in the forest. Before I get ahead of myself... All of this being said, though, like real talk for a moment, um, if you hear someone screaming for help from the woods, obviously don't just walk away assuming it's paranormal, like someone could actually need your help. So please contact the Forest Service dudes. Moving on. If you see something, no, you don't. So don't look in the trees. If you're not looking, you won't see them. If you don't see them, you won't be in danger. Stick to your path and don't let your eyes wander. Be aware, but not too aware. If you see a deer, is it? Hmm. Keep the curtains and blinds closed at night and lock your doors. Do not look outside at night. You do not want to see the things that live in the woods. Some other safety tips to keep in mind. Do not whistle or sing outside. The high pitch carries far and you will call them. Some of the things that live in the woods are not defeated with a bullet. Don't ever provoke the things that live in the woods. If you think you're being watched, you are. Be aware, but not afraid of the things that are watching you because there are eyes on you. If you think you are being watched, stalked, or hunted, do not run. Never run in the woods. If you run, they will chase you like prey. Just start walking and never look to see if you're being followed. Never go in the woods alone after dark. Safe to say, just don't be outside after dark or before dawn. If something feels off, it is. That is just good life advice. And if nature suddenly goes silent, calmly leave the area. Dudes, yo, why do these creep me out so much? Oh my gosh, okay. The Appalachian superstitions, um, they're pretty weird, right? You would agree? They're kind of unnerving. Uh, the cryptids and creatures, they're, they're a bit unsettling too. But this, this final thing that we're going to talk about tonight is something that, oh, it genuinely frightens me. It does. And I think that is what all of the know-you-don't rules and the safety advice is all really geared toward. One last safety tip. I saved it for last. Um, it has stayed with me ever since I first heard it. And it's this. If it sounds close, it's far away. If it sounds far away, it's close. This one is so especially frightening because it goes against our core primal instinct for self-preservation when faced with a predator or anything that means to do us harm or even something we just can't see and don't know its intentions. Before moving on, here is a content warning. 
I'm going to be saying some names of certain supernatural creatures of Native American lore. If you are of the belief that saying or thinking or hearing about them is bad for you, this is where I'm going to start talking about them. If it sounds close, it's far away. If it sounds far away, it's close. Is a specific piece of information from the legends and lore of the Wendigo. Though the creature that has been encountered in the Appalachian region has been called a Wendigo, I'm not so sure that's what it is. It has also been called a skinwalker. I don't know if that's it either. Not only is that particular creature of Navajo lore and born of an entirely different part of the country, the thing that people report seeing in the woods of Appalachia is a little different. Similar to both the Wendigo and Skinwalker, but different. It is the monster with no name, and the thing of nightmares. It is the not-human, the apex predator of the apex predator. For now, we will refer to it as a flesh pedestrian, a term that was popularized by TikTok creator Aiden Mattis and really is the perfect catch-all for this thing. Let's take a quick look, though, at the different beings that would be categorized as flesh pedestrians and learn their descriptions to get our frame of reference. So, the Wendigo is a malevolent being characterized by superhuman abilities and cannibalism. The image that we've become familiar with within uh, American culture of a cryptid-looking creature with fur and horns on its head is not actually the description from the original indigenous stories. In legends of several Algonquin tribes, it looks like a walking human corpse, gaunt, emaciated, with an ashen gray complexion and protruding bones pushing out against its skin, pulled tightly over them. Its skeletal body is deformed, sometimes missing its lips and toes. It has jagged teeth and a hiss that emanates from its mouth and sunken eyes staring out at you from deep inside its sockets. It looks like something freshly disinterred from a grave and smells like it too, giving off the odor of decomposition, decay, and death. This creature is forever starving with a hunger that knows no end. In some Algonquin myths, it is said the Wendigo would grow in proportion to the size of the person they had just consumed, so it could never feel full. No matter how much it eats, it can never be satiated, and so is portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous while emaciated from starvation. It is thought the consumption of human bodies gives the creature its supernatural abilities and superhuman strength and speed. It also gains the ability to mimic any human voice, an ability it uses in order to lure its victims into the forest. It mimics a baby's wail, or a woman screaming or begging for help, using our own humanity and empathy against us in order to isolate and feed. But... If you are alert and you're listening closely, there's always something not quite right with the voices that you hear. No matter how good the Wendigo gets at their mimicry, it will never be spot on. This being is created in a few different ways. It is born of famine, starvation, bitter cold, and fear. If someone spends too much time in the presence of one, if someone becomes possessed by one, 
Or if someone resorts to cannibalism, succumbs to the need to eat human flesh in an attempt to save oneself, even in the face of sure death, it's a costly choice as it obliterates one's humanity and turns them into a terrible, hunger-driven monster who will stop at nothing to consume more of what was once his own kind, never again able to stomach anything but human flesh and driven mad with only the thought of his own hunger. If I am wrong, and the creature lurking in the forest of Appalachia is the Wendigo, just remember, he is constantly on the hunt for his next meal, and if it sounds close, it's far away. If it sounds far away, it's close. Much like the Wendigo, a skinwalker has no qualms about calling for help or screaming from the woods to try to lure you in a bit closer. They are also quite adept at mimicking voices, sometimes of people you might know. It is reported that they are regularly seen and heard in the Appalachia region, despite their legend born of the American Southwest. And it's entirely possible they can be anywhere. Many Native American tribes and cultures outside of the Navajo have legends of a similar creature. Folks who live in Appalachia often refuse to go outside at night for any reason. This is part of that any reason. They also wisely refuse to whistle at night as this simple act calls the creature to you. This malevolent entity is a shapeshifter, having the ability to shift into any animal they desire, depending on their needs to complete a task, and their name in the Navajo language translates into, by means of it, it goes on all fours. They also have super strength and super speed. They can read the minds of others, control others' thoughts and actions, implant thoughts into others' minds in order to manipulate them. They can cause the destruction of property and cause disease, illness, and even death. They can take possession of any living animal and also take possession of any living person should that person make eye contact with the being, which you would have to do should you desire to assess whether or not you are in fact looking at a skinwalker, because in human form their eyes are distinctly like those of an animal. In animal form they look distinctly human and will shine red should light fall on them. When they are sighted, they are often described as not quite human, and not quite animal. Many customs hold the belief that this entity is born when a medicine man or woman abuses their magic for evil. All traditional medicine people start out learning both the good and evil magic. While most handle the responsibility and use their powers to benefit and help, others not so much, becoming corrupt and drunk with their powers and abilities. It's also thought someone can only become a skinwalker by initiation into a society of them. Their task to enter? They must kill a member of their own family. Once this is complete, they then acquire their supernatural abilities. But why would skinwalkers want to lure innocent people out into the woods? I imagine there are a variety of reasons why this might be the case. The human body could be very useful to someone performing dark magic, don't you think? It is said you can tell if there is one just outside your home as they will knock on windows, bang on walls, scrape along your roof, all in an attempt to get you to go outside and investigate. They have been spied peering through windows and jumping in front of cars attempting to cause accidents. 
And while today, most encounter stories do not include any reported death or injuries, but rather more of a trickster element, a lot of folks go missing in our national parks and forests, including the Appalachia region, like disappearing without a trace. Just saying. Final flesh pedestrian I want to go through is something called a flesh gate. A flesh gate is an entity created online back in the early 2000s. So why are we talking about it as a possible explanation of what people are seeing out in the woods? You know, it is my belief that all cryptids go back to some originating source. Like there, there is some spark of truth to all of these stories. And flesh gates seem to be the amalgamation of the Wendigo and Skinwalker and maybe like the Crawler. Um, I think people are conflating these creatures, which leads to a lot of confusion. But I think Fleshgate is just another name for what folks are seeing. Perhaps they are just experiencing the same thing when they tell these Skinwalker stories, these Fleshgate stories, etc., etc. And it doesn't really matter what they're called. Again, it, it's the monster with no name. I don't think it matters so much what you call it. It matters that people are experiencing something. Not to mention, Fleshgate is an obvious ripoff or retelling of the skinwalker, flesh being synonymous with skin and gait describing someone's walk. And perhaps Fleshgate is a new evolution to this one original creature, this being, a new way to look at it. Because while it shares a lot of similarities with the entities I've just talked about, uh, such as mimicry, or being found out in the remotest areas, uh, some of the same physical features. There are some differences. A big one being the flesh gate, when not in its natural form, tall and thin with gray skin, long claws, no hair, will look like someone you know. It's thought it takes the skin of its victims in order to trick others into also becoming its victims. It's that same insatiable, never-ending cycle we see with the Wendigo. Why they do it, it hasn't been explicitly stated anywhere that I've found, but I've got to assume it's eating everything but the skin. That's a big assumption to make, I know. Maybe it's snacking on twigs and leaves and just kills for fun. I don't know. We're talking about a monster here, so anything seems plausible. But it's definitely predatory towards humans for whatever reason. Another different aspect of the flesh gate is that it can affect your memory. Much like a skinwalker has the power to implant thoughts in your head, a fleshy can input memories into your head or alter them altogether. It seems from the stories that flesh gates often hunt within groups of people, so hikers, campers, what have you. They infiltrate the group. And depending on whether they take on the visage of someone who was already present or someone else entirely and change the memory as to why or how they got there, it is then a race to the finish line. Either someone in the group will take notice of the fleshy's avatar acting out of character, being quieter than normal, speaking with an unusual amount of difficulty, robotically, uh, or paying way too much attention to more mundane objects or actions of others, as if they were experiencing everything for the first time and learning it all for the first time. 
Or they simply recognize that sinking, twisting feeling in their gut that something is not right with this person. It's a game of life and death the fleshy play is trying to win before you realize they are not human and they are hunting. Again, this is the creation of creepypasta and online forums, people's fears and imagination. And it is still fairly new, only about 20 years old. But again, there is a grain of truth to these stories. What that original thing was that people experienced, we can only imagine. I find it fascinating that this idea of the slender, gaunt, pale, monstrous-looking, not-human, not-animal, humanoid creature, the hunter of man, the evil imposter, has some incarnation in so many cultures throughout history. Every generation seems to have one. A story of the flesh pedestrian, the ultimate boogeyman. Thank you all for joining me for the second annual Halloween special. This was rad. I learned a hell of a lot about the Appalachia region, its spooky paranormal legends, a ton, a ton about cryptids in general, which uh, I was only able to include a fraction of just the ones spotted in the southeast and east coast, but I hope it was enough to give you all a taste of the high strangeness taking place over there. I gotta say, cryptids are kind of friggin' cool. I wasn't especially into them before because I just, I hadn't gotten to them yet in my researching adventures. But now that I got the chance, cool stuff. I'm intrigued and convinced. Did y'all know that the kangaroo was once a cryptid? People who saw them early on came back with stories of this creature with the head of a deer standing up like a person, jumping like a frog, and a second head located on its stomach. Dudes, the things we don't understand until we understand it, right? The gorilla, the platypus, the ribbon fish, all just folkloric tales at one time. Fascinating. That is going to wrap our episode. Thank you for tuning in. Next week, we will be getting back to our regularly scheduled programming, picking up where we left off with psychics and mediums. We're talking Stargate, y'all. It's a big un. Not quite as terrifying as a Fleshgate or a Dwayo, but just as interesting. I hope you all have a spectacular rest of your Halloween celebration. And do keep this final piece of advice in mind. Stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.